Hey there, it's me, Denise Lee, and welcome to the Introverted Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help improve your mindset and your money. I have a very special treat for you. Today, I had the privilege to talk with Jeff Klubig. And if you don't know Jeff, you're going to get lots of Kluby snacks. <laughs> Jeff is a, a communicator, and more importantly, he helps you understand that the way to tell your story is to know yourself in a deeper level. And today we are going to talk about integrity, understanding yourself, and more importantly, making sure that you're aligned with who you are and what you want to do. If you are interested in learning about how to understand yourself at a deeper level, listen to this conversation. You're going to get a lot of value and you're only going to get this if you stay tuned after this short break. Oh my goodness. You know, Jeff, we had a really good time talking before we even hit the record button. So I don't even know, like, <laughs> it's the, 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 the pregame. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was already doing like my push up before I even entered the field. So that's pretty awesome. And, you know, one of the things I love so much about you and your energy beyond the jokes, which you guys are going to be hearing lots of jokes and, um, Clue snacks, and you'll figure out what that is. Clue snacks (laughs) (laughs) is we understand that to understand other people is to first understand ourselves. And to be able to have that time apart from communicating with others to communicate with ourselves. And you've got over 20 plus years of experience talking about communication. Can you kind of explain to those who are listening, like, what am I talking about, about the doing that inner work and communicating with, within ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Denise, you know, there's a lot of layers there, right? And so, so there's a couple of different pieces of this. One is uh, self-talk, Right. What are the words? What are the language patterns that we hear? The actual words that we can hear in our head. Right. And sometimes they're going while we're interacting with others. We can hear them more clearly if we disengage, like you said. The other so so that some of the words that we hear in our head, they emerge automatically as just a function of the survival mechanisms of a being a living thing on the planet. Everything that's alive on the planet has survival mechanisms built in. So a lot of our communication with self is a function of surviving, okay? Now, one of the things that separates us from other living things on the planet is like, you know, not just our thumbs, opposable thumbs, right? But the the, the logic and the, the, you know, we can create language and think and on you know, different levels than other animals and creatures. So that creates a whole new level of communication with self because there's a battle inside of us between logic and emotion, right? They're, 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 they need each other, but they're also, they're also often in conflict with each other. So a lot of time, the, the, the goal of communicating with self is to bring those into balance and help them make sure that they're serving us, the integration of logic and emotion, that they can play, be at odds with each other. Another thing that, that, that I think is important is the, the units of consciousness inside of a body, like on a biological, and I'm not a biologist, I'm a communication expert, but I, so well, I'm just talking cellular level, the, every cell in our body can send a signal back up to our brain 
you follow craving something that, you know, the cells have needs, the cells are communication systems, they have receptor sites for all of the chemicals and so forth flowing through our system. So that becomes important when you understand that emotions are in fact chemicals. That's why we call them feelings. And so a lot of our self-talk is really the process of craving and fulfilling or denying the craving for emotions that we become addicted to based on patterns in our life or traumas in our life or successes in our life. So there's a lot to unpack there, but it starts with, you know, recognizing self-talk and why am I saying that to myself? And if I were in control of what I were saying, what would I say right now? And what's logical, what's emotional, what are, it, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very complex situation. And mo even myself as, as a master of communication, <laughs> I struggle. We all struggle because we're human beings. So don't, don't, I don't want your listeners to think that there's an easy way or a solution or anybody does this well. That's something everybody on the planet struggles with. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about Pavlov's dog. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, for those who aren't familiar, there was an experiment, what was it in the 50s or 60s? I, for, I forgot what year it was, but it, go, go ahead. Go ahead it, may, it may be earlier than that. Yeah, maybe Pavlov's dog may go back to 20s and Carl, Carl Jung's era. And Anyway, go, go ahead. It's conditioning is what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, where there was trials where the dogs were presenting food. And, you know, there were moments where they would ring the bell and the, the food was presented. And then it triggered the response to the dogs were salivating upon hearing the ringing bell, even though there was no food. And I, the reason why I'm pointing this out is that yeah. for a lot of us, we are conditioned to triggers that take us to places that may or not may not be relevant to or us. Or real, or real. Or real, yeah, or, or perceived. And I'll give a perfect example of when you mentioned earlier that we have been conditioned to do certain works because we're anticipating acknowledging of praise or adulation. But what happens if you do, you do the same level of work and you don't get that praise and adulation? Do you, abandoned? Do you feel, do you go, go, go more closeted in? I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs face and the dilemma is that they're so accustomed to be getting those pat on the back from those attaboys in their mm -hmm. corporate life. And then when they go into their entrepreneurial world and they're performing, if not higher than before, yeah. and they're not getting the attaboys. I'm like, what's happening? Well, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. I would say this, you know, for me, every job is an inside job. For me, I'm on the planet to make it, to do a lot of things. We're going to talk about the integrity game soon enough, but I want to make it easy and fun, easy and fun to look within, easy and fun to look within. So if that's the case, uh, somebody that's been conditioned for nice job, way to go, you know, the reply to all email that somebody wants to send because they want to show everybody else that I'm being a team player and I'm supportive of my teammates. And on some level, it's all fake and phony, right? And it's a game that's being played and it's towing a line, et cetera. But what, what, what people, myself, yourself included, what we really need to do is set our own internal standards for what counts as good, what counts as excellent. You know, we have to decide that for ourselves and put ourselves in a position to pat ourselves on the back. Because um, there's a lot of seeds out there that are about to sprout, but you just can't see them yet. But that doesn't mean you give up on them and turn your back on them just because you can't see them yet. So there's a lot of people that are doing great work where other people can't see the accolades yet. And that's why we need to have, we lean on ourselves. Like, I'll say this, 
The only person that we're guaranteed to spend the rest of our life with is ourselves. So when are we going to get around to giving ourselves accolades and, and recognition? It, it, the only thing that's stopping us is we're not setting the standard. Does that make sense? Like if I, if I decide for myself what counts as a good job, it's just bonus. It's just playing with house money if somebody else tells me. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Can I give you an example? Um, I came out with my book, The Integrity Game, two weeks ago. I had been promoting it by myself for months, to gearing up for a launch. And the standard that I set for myself, what I knew I wanted to do was be on the bestseller list, which, which meant I had to get into the top 100 of all sales in that category, right? And um, that was my standard. So if, if somebody said, Jeff, I got your book, cool, they bought the book. But that didn't make me happy because I didn't know if I got into the top 100 yet because I had a standard. As you follow. And, and what ended up happening is I got to number one among all new releases and I got to number 10 among all releases. So I actually beat my own. So now I was ecstatic and like I felt shaking and my feet didn't hit the ground for two days because I beat my own standard. Right? Nobody out there that bought the book, loved the book, bought 10 books so they could give it to their managers, bought 20 books so they could give it to a team of baseball players and all the coaches as well. Like all these things that really make my heart sing, they still don't compare to the standard I set for myself internally. That's the one that had me feeling levitating. And oh my God, I, I couldn't believe it because I beat my own standard that I set for myself. The Integrity Game is full of so much foul information. And I'm going to drop a link in the show notes below so that if you're interested, you can uh, follow through and, and purchase the book. Not just say you want to do it. You're going to follow through. <laughs> integrity meaning committing to the actions that you set for yourself. Yeah, that's that's a bit a huge, a huge part of it. Um, if we've got a minute, I'll tell you that that one of the goals of the integrity game, there's a couple of major things I'm trying to do with the book. One is expand our understanding. Like I think the way that you just described integrity game is a unique description. You have a, a deeper understanding than most because you play in this personal professional growth space and you understand how important it is. It's part of your training, I'm sure. Uh, most people, however, Denise, and I've, I've tested this over and over again, in public speaking, when I say, how, by show of hands, how many of you believe you have integrity? You can imagine that 100% of the audience will raise their hand. And then if you get the sense of humor, I say, okay, keep your hand up and please repeat after me. I, I do, do, solemnly, solemnly, swear, swear, not to shoot the messenger in 45 minutes. And they start laughing. Like I see your beautiful smile. You're laughing too. But I hold them there in that smile. And I say, honestly, I really do, you know, who, first of all, I want good ratings on the keynote. <laughs> so hang on, who am I to suggest that you don't have any integrity? Let me back up and slow down here. Hang on a second. What is it? Are we talking about the same thing? If I suggest that you might shoot the messenger, if I'm suggesting that I might argue with your hand being up or your understanding, hang on, let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. So here's where you would be different if you were in my audience, right? Because what you just said, it, you said integrity is, uh, the commitment to the actions you make or, or committing to the actions you can you say it one more time the way you said it it was beautiful uh, uh, yeah in, in my opinion integrity is committing to the actions that you first commit to yourself okay committing to the actions that you committed to yourself right yeah okay yes. so that's a yeah i mean yes on that and so much more so get back to the scenario or say hang on what is integrity most people here's the thing most people give me one of two answers. And when I do a keynote or a soft skill training in a, in, a, in a company for a high performance team and I do this, 
I always get two answers. I always get these two answers. I usually don't get anything other than these two answers, unless it's a flowery way of describing one of the two answers you follow. So first of all, people say, well, do what you say you're going to do. Now that's kind of like in your realm right there, but you, you qualified the commitments to yourself, but this person is, you know, somebody else meant to do what you say you're going to do. So any expectation that you set for yourself is what you were saying, but this, you know, or others, if you tell somebody else, you're going to be there at nine, you'd be there at nine. Right. Or I'm going to, I'm going to tuck you in before you go to sleep and your kids waiting, not going to sleep because you said it and then you get distracted. You don't go. Now you're out of integrity you know, so any expectation you set for others. So being your word is part of it. But the other part that people, the other answer that people have is doing the right thing, regardless of who's watching. Mm. Okay. So those are the two answers. Now, one, there's a word integrated with a behavior. And in the other, there's a behavior integrated with a value or a moral. So here's what I like to you know, celebrate is that in both cases, integration is part of, there's a coming together of one thing with another over here, word with behavior and over here, behavior with a moral. Yet if you and I, Denise, went on the street, like did a you know, person on the street interview with, you know, went out with a camera and a microphone and asked a million people, what's the definition of integrity? Not one of the million answers would have the word integration in it. So yeah, go ahead. You know, you know, I, I wanted to build on this whole idea of integration because I think it's really important for those who are listening that and I'll give an example of salesmen. Salesmen. Yes. Selling, selling. Because I think those who are selling completely understand it. Where you're listening to some sales pitch and you think to yourself, I'm not interested. And then you say, Well, give me your sales literature, knowing full well. You're not interested in that, right? And you think that you've gotten away with just getting them out of your face. But guess what? You've betrayed yourself mm-hmm. by not being honest with yourself. And that has a ripple effect with how you treat the other person and then how they treat other people and how you conduct your business in other manners. You think that playing it the easy way out will absolve you of feeling reconciled within who you are and what you want and how you're going to go about. And so saying, I'm not interested, best of luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people aren't aware of how costly it is. The ripple effect of of, um, chipping away at our structural integrity, if you will. If you're willing to just be that, even if it seems... There's a saying out there, you know, I think lawyers say this a lot. If you've done it once, you've probably done it more than once. Right. And so if you're not honest with a certain, this happened yesterday, somebody knocked on my door. My, my, I'm in my home office right now. My front door is right there and knocked on the door. I'm like, hi, can I help you? The dogs are barking. You know, Hey, I'm here in the neighborhood. And I'm like, I held up the hand. I'm like, stop. I'm not interested. He said, well, I want to let you know that it's free to, I'm like, I said, I'm not interested. And now I want to save you time. And basically it's up to that person to realize like if they keep trying, you know, the other thing, the salesperson, I thought that's where I thought you're going. Salespeople being dishonest. <laughs> no, but it's like customers, right? They, there's a saying about the customers or the prospects if their lips are moving, they're lying. And a real good sales professional will help somebody understand what they really want. So anybody that's pitching before they've taken the time to understand what somebody really wants should accept a dishonest answer, expect it, right? So anyway, we can talk about the other side of training sales professionals to do it professionally rather than salesy. Right. But I hear what you're saying. And, and um, people aren't like, here's the saying for it to summarize it. You cannot hide your broccoli in a glass of milk. 
you know, if you're a five-year-old, you just because you can't see through to the other side, it may trick you into thinking that you actually, but you don't think about, well, somebody else is doing the dishes and somebody else has experience and somebody else tried to hide block you when they're a kid and they're looking, you, you, you're just in the moment trying to get through the moment. And that, it goes back to what I was talking about before. It's a function of survival. Person is going to say like, oh, I wasn't lying. I was just trying to be nice. And that's the excusing of ourselves rather than the confronting of ourselves. So we judge, here's another Kluby snack. We judge ourselves by intent while others are judging our action. Now the salesperson's walking away thinking about whether or not to spit on the lawn because they only have 20 pieces of literature and they need to save them to people that are really interested. And yet somebody that they know is not interested just took one of my 20 pieces of literature. Now I only have 19 left. You know, so like there's, a, there's an effect for everything that we do and, and honesty with ourselves is critical. But a lot of people don't know how to look within, aren't interested in looking within, excuse themselves from looking within. Most of the time, people don't think they're doing anything that is eligible for improvement or a better way. Uh, you know, I'm just going to say this one thing, this one thing regarding the, the other side of the sales. Is yeah. I think that sailing is communication and clarity, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and kindness. And if you're doing things that are misaligned with how you want to interact, you've just lost the battle within yourself. How can you sell someone an idea or service if you don't even believe that you're doing it with integrity? And that's a whole different other conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's similar to the challenge that we have inside of ourselves, logic and emotion, right? Um, you know, emotion, you know, the main driver of decision-making is pleasure and pain, which is emotionally based, but a business exists for profits and it's a completely logical endeavor. The path to process, you know, profits is a logical endeavor from the business perspective, but from the sales perspective, the path to revenue is emotion. And they, they sometimes they're in, in conflict with another. So a salesperson may be getting pressure from a sales manager. You, you follow. And then they start to not believe necessarily in what they're doing. And I think it's really critical to just, again, back to the integrity game. Somebody that's playing the integrity game for themselves and somebody that has answers to all of the 10 questions that I you know, introduce in the book, uh, they're playing the game. You know, so it's not just enough to have answers to the questions, but to make sure the answers integrate and create a one plus one equals three when they align with each other. So I encourage anybody listening out there, please don't sell anything unless you know for a fact it integrates with your answers to your integrity game. And maybe you'll get a chance to preview what those 10 points are. But right now I want to just keep matching your pace on the, these great questions you're asking. Yeah, yeah you know, You've been teasing it. So I have to mention this in your book, The Integrity Game, you have a 12 step process. Can, would you mind sharing with those who are listening about what that looks like? Yeah, yeah, I don't mind at all. It's, it's 10 steps. The book is 12 chapters, um, but the, the, the model, the Integrity Game model is 10 steps. And so for those of you that are listening, there's no video right now. So I'm not gonna screen share and you can't see my hands moving and my face animating. So let me paint a picture for you. We talked about a building having structural integrity when it keeps doing what it's supposed to do despite outside forces, right? Why are we any different as human beings? So in other words, the whole integrity game is what are we supposed to be doing? What were we made to do? That's the first of the 10 points purpose. But before I get into the 10 point model, I want 
the audience to imagine um, lacing up sneakers, right? You could, you, Denise, you could see Shaquille O'Neal's sneakers on the mantle behind me. Maybe you'll ask me about that in a minute. But, you know, if we were lacing up sneakers, we put the string in one hole and we go across and we go diagonal, 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 diagonal down and then back up to top, diagonal, diagonal. And then we, I love that, that sound that you, we cinch, we cinch the, right? We don't, the laces are not tying the shoes. We tie laces. What are the laces doing? People will never tell you. I'd ask a million people, what are the laces doing? Uh, they're tying the shoe. No, nobody's going to say they're integrating the left side with the right side. Now, why? Why do that? Why tie the shoes? Why lace them up? So, they, so that you could do what it's supposed to do. So she can stay on your foot, protect your foot. Now, what happens if the laces come undone and you trip, you break an ankle, you step on a rock, the shoe comes off, you have to turn around, go back and get it. Now you're three seconds late to where you've been and then there's a ripple effect of out of integrity, right? So this is a silly analogy, but if, if you take it seriously, the quote is, if anything is out of integrity, it threatens everything else. Anything that's out of integrity invites so many other things to be out of integrity. You know, it's right. So it's important to pay attention to integrity. Now, with that in mind, like when I do the PowerPoint or when I do the keynote, there's a picture of shoelaces that come up and then pop, 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 pop. You know, the, the 10 points show up as I introduce the model. So if, if somebody can imagine going side to side to side to side with laces, that's how the, the 10 points show up. So first of all is purpose and meaning. Right, purpose and meaning. You questions like, what is the meaning of life? Right? Do you have any thought leadership in your life? Did you know with parents or clergy or you know, uh, you know, where, or community leaders? You know, where? What if you don't have an answer? So this is what I believe the meaning of life is. That you might not optimize your life or actualize your life or take it seriously. You might waste or destroy life if you don't have meaning attach a meaning to life now these answers could change from week to week but any day that you don't have answers to these questions is a day that you could be out of integrity right imagine uh, turning a hose on at the wall in, in the backyard and then following it where it's snaking all over the place and spraying water everywhere but not growing anything because it's not pointed the purpose and meaning so questions like what's the meaning of this podcast what's the meaning of the meeting what's the meaning of this business what's the meaning of this event what's the meaning of life what's the meaning of my life if you ask me right now jeff what's the meaning of your life i'd very simply say to help the world play the integrity game that is the meaning of my life right now that is the purpose that's that's what i'm here to do is increase the world's integrity levels okay so i have an answer to that it may it was different last week it may be different next week but today i have an answer right so then the next point on the model is gifts another way of thinking of gifts might be competitive advantages right and it's funny when i do public speaking on this denise right? can you imagine i say how many of you believe every human being is gifted <laughs> and not everybody raises their hand and i'm like hang on i need you know if i want 100 participation i need to ask a better question how many of you believe everybody in this room is gifted and then somebody's like no 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 and they're rolling their eyes <laughs> at, the, at the person next to them i'm like oh, okay 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 how many of you believe you are gifted and then everybody raises their hand so we're talking about i'm gonna i'm gonna stop in a second god-given gifts man-made gifts um, competitive advantages, things I do better than people that also do it, things that I do that nobody else does, right? So I believe I'm gifted by God as a storyteller, an animated speaker, but I went and got a master's degree in communication. So I integrated self-made with God-given. And then I don't turn, you know, and, and a lot of times people that are early in their business, they want to, like the coaches, right? They want to, they need to be the authority. So they can't let, they, they think I'm the person that needs to help everybody. But they're not allowed to, they're not letting people help them. So when we talk about gifts, like 
man-made, like human being is going to come and give you a gift, uh, self-generated gifts you give yourself. And then of course, what we're born with, and can we bring those things together and integrate gifts with purpose? So if I'm a gifted communicator, Denise, I shouldn't be injecting lab rats with a serum trying to get a drug to market. Do you follow? Like I shouldn't yeah. be working for the, you know, a, a chemical company with a clipboard and goggles doing experiments on animals to try to get FDA to approve a drug. I should be writing, speaking, training, soft skills based on my gifts. So a lot of people can sing like a bird, but they're waiting tables. Or a lot of people can solve the Rubik's Cube blindfolded, but they're selling insurance. Not that there's anything wrong with selling insurance, but unless they're using that analytical skill set to sell more insurance and help people protect themselves, they're out of integrity with their gifts and their on and on. Now you were going to say. <laughs> well, I just, like, I, I, I want to go through every single point because it's, it's valuable, but I wanted to make sure we summarize what purpose um, was, it was that purpose, in my opinion, and you can, you know, clarify or sure. correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, is that it comes from you and your own introspection. And yeah. yes, it could change from day to day to day, but it's not built on a foundation of greed, jealousy, insecurity, uh, hubris. I mean, there's, there's more and more adjectives, but you know what I'm going to say? It yeah, FOMO. Yeah, FOMO. Fear. Yeah, FOMO. Yeah, FOMO. Fear. Yeah. And connection. Yeah, I, I go deeper. Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a saying of back all these clubby, you're, you're asking such a good question. All these clubby snacks are coming out. I say that vulnerability, vulnerability is not the same thing as threatened. Mm. Yeah. Right. But as soon as somebody, you know, one of the barriers to determining a purpose is that as soon as you do, now you know that you have, and every second that you're not living your purpose, you're setting yourself up for a recipe of guilt. So when people aren't ready to be disciplined, when they aren't ready to be responsible, when they aren't ready to be accountable, when they aren't ready to do the work, when they aren't ready to change behavior, and it may be logically they are, but maybe they're addicted to certain emotions or chemicals that preserve a lifestyle, or they're addicted to friendships, relationships, circumstances, contexts, right? And so I don't want necessarily anybody to struggle with the question of purpose until you're ready to commit to living it. <laughs> Why build a mansion on top of quicksand? Absolutely. And Absolutely. so, so I, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. I'm yeah. so glad that we dig a little deeper on purpose because it's just, I think for those who are listening, they're like, oh, because I want to serve my community. Like, no. No. <laughs> or I want to build a legacy for my family. No. Well, <laughs> closer, you know, closer, I, w- I wouldn't be a straight no to build legacy for the family because that's what I'm doing in the integrity game. I couldn't tell you right now. There are characters in this book that are, you know, like inspired by my children. And I started writing it when my parents died three weeks apart in mm. September of 2020 COVID. So when you want to talk about legacy now, this is a legacy play for me. This is like a coping mechanism as I was dealing with the loss of my parents. I released it a day before, before I turned 50 years old, midlife crisis stuff. It's a journey story. It integrates my love of baseball. And I missed out on playing baseball when I was a kid. And I'm going to make darn sure my son doesn't miss out. And so this is a story about a season ticket holder who's watching his son make the team. He's a rookie. And then there's a hot dog vendor who represents a little bit of all of us. And then a cotton candy salesperson. And these characters take us on the journey to introduce the 10 points of the model. But I'm telling you right now, this is a legacy play. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, my kids have read this book and they know how much I love them and they know how hard I work to immortalize my love for them. This book is going to outlive me. And so mm-hmm. legacy play, I would never, ever, ever say, ooh, all right, but now let's integrate legacy play. What's real legacy? I can't just write a book and say I did it all for my kids. I need to be the best version of myself I can be so they, my kids 
have a model. My kids see me working hard, making myself vulnerable, putting myself out there, you know, the, 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 the dark hours, you know, four o'clock in the morning, writer's block, whatever, right? So they need to see me trying to be my very best. And so how do I integrate legacy and my love of kids with my personal professional grows, my true purpose? So I wouldn't argue with legacy alone. I would just want to, like, I call it clue dive. Let's go a little deeper. <laughs> Well, actually, that's kind of what where I was going yeah. to direction yeah. is like I don't want us to hear this the surface level. There's reasons behind it. There's a story. There's pain. There's unresolved issues that need to be like worked through. Like it's not enough to just say I want to do this because I want my kids to be proud of me. As an example. Well, ultimately, if I can I, I, matching where you're going, forget my yeah. linear forget my linear introduction of the ten points of the model. Let yeah. me I, I, I introduced two purpose and gifts, right? Let me go all the way to ten right now. Are you ready? Yeah. And yeah. then we'll fill in the gaps. Yes. Number ten is service. Mm-hmm. Service. Mm-hmm. Who are you serving? Who? Right. If by the way, once you realize you go through the integrity game, you're going to be a more actualized human being than if you weren't playing the game. You're, you're gonna you're gonna accomplish more. You're gonna be more focused. You're gonna know what to say yes to. Know what to say no to. You're gonna be efficient. You're gonna be on and on and on and on. But ultimately, number nine, uh, number nine is is the the accomplishments mm-hmm. that we amass because we've played the game and we have knowledge, experience, and wisdom mm-hmm. through our accomplishments. You know, like um, and, and so it, you know, like let's put it this way: if I made one dollar more than I needed to live today. Where can I? How, where can I give ten to twenty percent of that to help somebody else? Like mm-hmm. once my cup runneth over, who can I help? Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, the I recommend one of the great ways to get over yourself, get out of your own way, is to imagine everybody on the planet less fortunate, and among that huge population of people that are less fortunate, identify with who you'd like to serve. When you're abundant, when you create wealth, when you make a profit and it's time for you to give and serve, who do you want to give and serve? And is that integrated with your purpose? So in other words, you can introduce the purpose was number one. And if I went linear, one, 10 is all the way down here. But if it was a bracelet, service would reconnect with number one purpose. Does that make sense? And so, so for example, the integrity game, before I ever sold a copy on Amazon, I supported two different nonprofit organizations with the book. So I went, I published the book just so I can order my couple hundred authors copies so that I could show up and have physical copies at events that started way before my proposed launch date. So what were the two organizations? One was youth baseball, my son's baseball team and the club baseball organization I see how structured and productive being involved in youth sports is for kids keeping them out of trouble off the streets, et cetera. Right. Huge, huge, huge fan of youth sports, you know, not just baseball, but any, you know, extracurricular youth organization that teaches them discipline, skill set, coachability, uh, improvement, teamwork, time management, all incredible. Right. So I'm always happy to give to youth sports organizations, especially baseball. Right. The other was a lamp of learning scholarships through club corp. I'm a member of the university club in San Diego, part of club corp. And in San Diego, we have the lamp of learning at the university club lamp of learning, which uh, we, the, the organization, the club tries to raise 20 grand per year to give scholarships to underprivileged. 
So I created an event called Authors Hour, where mm -hmm. I said, hey, let's invite all of our member authors to come and be on a panel that I'll donate my time to facilitate. And then people can learn about writing books, publishing books, marketing books. How do you use books? How do you weave them into your process? Self-publish, ghostwriting, you know, try to pitch it for a deal and just have, you know, roundtable discussion around being an author. And then authors would sell their copies or have authors copies. And then people can donate to the Lamp of Learning Scholarship in order to get authors copies. Right. So I, I and, and now I've also helped military families. My dad was in the Navy and I never served. And I have a huge sense of gratitude for the people that are really willing to give their life <laughs> for something. Talk about integrity. Right. So so I've served three different nonprofit organizations. So if somebody says to me, Jeff, who do you serve? You know, I have answers to that and it integrates with my purpose is to raise the level of integrity on and on. So it, there's there's more points on the model, but that, that came to mind right away is who are you we just want the top of the sandwich and we've got so much meat to fill in the beginning in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, well, you know, yeah, it's interesting because. Yeah, it's just I just it's a wonderful model. It, I, I, it's, it started out as a keynote that I delivered online during August of 2020. And, and then I realized, oh, my goodness, it was just a concept. It was just a talk. And then when I flushed it out for yeah. a keynote, I'm like, this is a book. This is a brand. This is a comprehensive approach to personal and professional growth. Now, let me do the other six in the middle rapid fire. And then you'll ask me what you want to ask me about. So just to review from the top, we had purpose and gifts. Now, with a purpose and gifts, now we can imagine potential. We can start to come down from big, big picture and get... So potential is vision, mission, and objectives. What's the farthest out we could see? What do we see? And then mission is what's the greatest accomplishment that would prove that we're on our way to that vision. And then objectives are the annual accomplishments to move us towards the mission. Then step four on the model, and they could go in any order, by the way, but the, the, is goals, right? You know, as a coach, goal setting is critical to achievement. Most people, they do hopes, wishes, and dreams. So the same thing, people, if I say, how many of you set goals? Everybody will raise their hand. I say, all right, write your goals down and submit them right now. It'd be gibberish. So we know that people need to learn goal setting. And, and I, 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 I preserve goal setting for quarterly, three, you know, th three months, quarterly goals, annual objectives when it comes to productivity coaching and, and, and efficiency, et cetera, accountability coaching and all of that. So just to review, we got purpose, gifts, potential goals. Now, once you tell your brain what you want, the brain says, well, how are we going to go ahead and get that? So the next step is this whole big land of strategies, tactics, and resources. Remember the analogy that I gave you of somebody could have the best boat ever built, be trained as the best sailor on the seas, be assigned the most loyal and dedicated crew, be handed the best map stargazers could come, come up with, and be given a blank check from the king. Those are all strategies and resources that might help somebody achieve their goal of discovering new land. But what you and I know, and what your listeners might need to know is that despite all those strategies, tactics and resources, if they believe the world is flat, <laughs> they're not going to go. So one of the critical, most important strategies anybody can ever embrace for themselves is the inner work strategy, the mindset strategy, the how do I manage my self-talk away from self-preservation and take the chance that I need to take and embrace the vulnerability I need to take in order to live my potential and have integrity and purpose, gifts, potential, and all of that. So there's strategies for mindset that help it. There's internal strategies that help us execute the external strategies, right? So of all these choices on strategies, the next point on the model is word and commitment. Now, most people, when you ask them, what is integrity? They'll say, do what you say you're going to do. Okay, cool. No argument there. But that's not all it is, right? Because the joke that I tell people, Denise, and I'll tell you, 
if I said to you, Denise, before we started recording that I was that I was going to drink 18 beers before we started recording and then I drank 18 beers before we started recording, could I claim integrity just because I did what I said I was going to do? And, you know, the answer is no. <laughs> why? It, most people know the answer is no. But yeah. what they, I know why, because even though I do what I say I'm going to do, doing what I said I was going to do isn't integrated with my potential or my gifts unless my only gift is a big liver. Right. You understand what I'm getting at. Right. So that's not, you know, I'm not going to reach my potential. I'm not going to reach my goal of serving you and your audience with this interview. If I do that, you follow, I will have done what I said I was going to do. So I get to make this point like, yeah, being our word is important, but what's more important is what the word is. What are we saying? What are we committed to? Because a lot of people will commit to the low hanging fruit and the path of least resistance rather than the strategy that's integrated with these other points I've laid out. Does this make sense? John Wooden, famous basketball coach, said, never mistake activity for achievement. There's a lot of people staying busy all the time, but their lives are the same year by year, but they're busy, they're busy, they're busy. So they're busy committing to things that aren't integrated with their potential, committing to things that don't optimize and share their gifts, committing to things that don't move them towards their potential, but either keep them in the same spot or move them away. And so without an external accountability source, it's hard to see those things. And that's why what I hope your learners are getting from this podcast. Now, um, after worded commitment, the next point on the model is do or action or behavior. What's observable? If somebody's watching me behave, what do they see me do, right? Right now, a fly on my wall is going to see me being interviewed on a podcast. That, what is that integrated with? Well, it's integrated with me promoting the integrity game and being of value to other leaders and their audiences, right? So there's integration of what I'm doing right now. But there's sometimes where a fly on the wall may look at me and say, Jeff, what are you doing? You know, hey, what are you doing on the couch right there? Oh, I'm just relaxing. I'm unplugging from a long day. It's, it, yeah, I might excuse myself, but I'm still out of integrity because I got stuff to do. Does this make sense? So behavior. And then, and then um, a lot of people are afraid to take action, afraid to get into action, afraid to take first steps because they're afraid of failure, which is a misunderstanding of failure. So the next point on the model is learning and growth. We want people focused on what are you going to learn? What are you going to learn? There's no mistake ever unless the only mistake is not setting a goal, not taking action, not trying to pursue it. You know what I mean? But as long as you take action, you're either going to win or learn. And both of them are all win. So mm -hmm. I, I, a kluby snack that I have is there's no such thing as mistakes, just learning wrapped in a little discomfort, dot, dot, dot. Don't let the packaging fool you. Right. So I actually have a, a model called mistake ROI, where I show people the return on investment of the worst mistakes they've ever made in their life. So if we can, you know, but like parents, back to Denise, the common denominator is the survival instinct and how it messes us up. Yeah. Imagine this, Denise. I don't, and by the way, I don't know if you have kids. You have kids. I have kids. I have three kids. And we want to protect our children at all costs. We'll do anything for our kids, anything for our kids. We got to protect our kids. I got to be a parent. I got to be, I got to protect my children. So guess what that ends up doing? Be, you know how many times our children in the, between the age of one and five hear, no, don't stop, wait. 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 You want to hear it again? No, don't stop, wait. And we're, when we're evaluating ourselves, I'm just trying to protect my child. I wanted to protect my child from being hurt. Oh my God, you traumatized your child from ever taking chances in their life reaching their potential because someone in the back of their mind, they're hearing, no, don't stop, wait. Because the parent, the parent is afraid that you're going to leave them. You're going to hurt yourself, leave them. And now you can't leave your potential because in the back of your mind, it's leaving your family and your parents. So how many people aren't reaching their potential because they're afraid to outgrow their family? How many people aren't uh, afraid to take chances because in the back of their mind, they've got cellular level programming 
to no, don't stop, wait. They can hear the screech of their parents' voice. They can hear, ah, whatever that is. Before I was trying to explore or experiment or put something in my mouth or, you know, see what's around the corner. And I hear this, ah, from my parents. Now I don't want to, I just want to, can I just get back to that couch, please? That couch looks pretty safe. My parents, you know. Anyway, so what I'm getting at is we get conditioned like a Pavlov's dog. Mm -hmm right? To avoid taking the real action that might be dangerous, vulnerable, risky, etc. But I, I, I tell you, the, I learned a lot in the process of writing the book, because in this one, I really tried to get to bestseller. I had a goal of being a bestseller, which means I had to ask people to read it and review it. Like, what if it's no good? <laughs> you know, and then what, oh, what if nobody buys it? And what if somebody says, Jeff, you're doing, you're being too self-promotional. Like, Maybe all of that could be true, but if I pay attention to that, I'm not, I'm out of integrity. My goal is to make it a bestseller because that will help me get the, the message out to the world. And that's my purpose. So come what may, I have to be willing to be laughed at. I have to be willing to be ignored. I have to be willing to be criticized. I have to be willing to be um, uh, a bust. I have to be, as, and I'm willing to do all of that because I know I'm committed to learning. That's mm -hmm. that learning piece, right? Yeah. Um, the, 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 what's the saying? If you want to avoid criticism, the only way to do that is to, the only way to avoid criticism is to do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Mm -hmm. So let's fall in love with mistakes, especially if we're committed to learning from them. And then, of course, that leads us to, you don't just go to the gym once and get a six pack. You don't just make one mistake and learn everything you need to. You got to make a lot of mistakes in the entirety of our life. And, and so we accumulate mistakes. We accumulate actions. We accumulate experiences. We accumulate knowledge with the difference between knowledge and experience, you know what I mean, is the behavior, the behavior of it, right? So I could read a book, I've got knowledge, but if I do what it said in the book, now I've got experience, but the two together, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And so there's a wisdom in our mistakes, our journey, our accomplishments, our trials, our tribulations. Everybody listening to this right now knows more than a lot of people on this planet about something. Everybody listening to this right now may be concerned about what they don't know, what they haven't done. Are they good enough? Are they ready? But everybody listening to this right now, you can help more people on the planet than can help you. Because knowledge, experience, wisdom. Now, when we accumulate the accomplishments that come from knowledge, experience, right? Now we're back at the end of the thing. Now, now who do you serve? Mm -hmm. now that's the last point. So the 10 points are purpose, gifts, potential, goals, strategies, tactics, resources, word and commitment, action learning, accomplishment, and service. And so we now the, playing the integrity game is just simple. Just have answers to all 10 of those questions and make sure they integrate. Make sure all of your answers to those 10 question sets serve and support and integrate with each other and make each answer makes the other one more sense, if you will. Now it sounds easy, to but it's hard to play the game. And I'm trying to make it easy to play the game. It starts with this podcast and keynotes, but it's easy in the book. It's a parable. It's not stuffy academic text with charts and stats and graphics and statistical analysis and diagrams and, you know, run on paragraphs and all of that. Um, it's, it's a parable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I want to make it fun and easy to look within. Be clear. The only thing keeping anybody from the life and business they want is the ability to look within. I'm going to plant a seed inside of your brain Jeff, and I'm hoping that it will blossom and bloom. I companion guide or a workbook specifically for integration or words and behavior. Because I think mm -hmm. this, is what's, this is what really 
gets people off balance is, and this is how I thought about it. I, I remember once making a circle of it. And then my husband said, no, 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 make a triangle of it. <laughs> this is what it is. It's the base level is our governing beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then above that is our behavior and then our attitude. And so for, like, let's give an example of my governing belief about myself is that I, you are worthy to be in my presence, right? So my, my behavior is I'm going to show up everywhere. <laughs> and my attitude is going to be positive, right? Well, let's say my governing belief is that nobody, sh- I'm not worthy, right? Then I'm going to do behaviors that reinforce that governing belief. And then my attitude is going to be foul. And then that reinforces the governing beliefs. And I think we need to dig in deeper of what that integration looks like. Yeah, um, I, 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 I love the model. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I believe that, <laughs> you remember like the, 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 what is it? The leg bones connected to the knee bone and yeah. the knee bones connected to the thigh bone and the, right. The thigh bones connected to the hip bone and the, right. So the belief bones connected to the behavior bone. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like if you want to change, like, here's the thing. I, it's one way to say the only thing preventing anybody from getting the life and business or career they want is themselves. Well, if there was a second thing, right? If there was a second thing, it's, it's, it's managing this belief piece. It's, yeah. it's, it's changing behavior, yeah. right? But changing behavior, we see behavior on the surface. Like, oh, why did they do that? Why did they do that? And you and I know the reason is because they believe this is why they did that. You follow? Every... It can be argued that every observable behavior is simply evidence of a belief that preceded it. So now what? Back to what I said before, defense mechanisms, ego defense, the emotional fight or flight, survivability, right? We'll have beliefs just show up just to make us feel easier, to help us rationalize and get through situations just to survive. But beliefs that help us thrive, we have to construct those on our own. A mentor of mine, Brian Tracy, and somebody asked me the other day, was Brian Tracy really your mentor? Yes. You know, <laughs> would Brian Tracy say he was my mentor? He might not remember, you know, but I did lunch and learns out of Brian Tracy's office. I was part of his iLearning Global team. I opened for Brian Tracy one time. I closed for him. I'd rather open for him than follow him, by the way, as a speaker. One of the greatest speakers and gurus in personal professional growth. You know who Brian Tracy is. But since I live in San Diego, I get access. You know, I'm all of the, you know, they're all here. Matt, you know what I mean? Like Asraf and Victor Hansen and Tony Alessandra, you know, all, all these guys in National Speakers Hall of Fame, they're all here. So back in when I was building my career as a coach, I, I was like in Brian Tracy's offices once a week and on his iLearning Global team with his VP of Education for iLearning Global. And I would lead the presentations in Brian Tracy's office with pictures of his family behind me. And Jeff, can you open for Brian tonight before the presentation? So I was in the ecosystem for a while. One of the things Brian Tracy taught me, I've done, he taught me a million things, but what's relevant right now, Denise, is that weeds grow on their own. Mm-hmm. They don't need any help from, from us. The weeds will just grow. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. But, but life giving, st- you know, herbs, fruits, vegetables, nutrients, we want the good stuff to grow. Now it's going to require, 
you know, a little care, a little attention, a little effort. We have to put our hands on the wheel. We have to water, give good soil, you know, trim stuff, prune stuff back, irrigate. We, there's things that we can do because of what we've learned that can, if we want good stuff to grow, we have to put effort, attention, dedication, system, strategy, process. Weeds, bad stuff, they'll come along on their own. They were similar. Negative thoughts will grow inside of us on our own. We don't have to do, you know, worry is a waste of our imagination, but it's quite automatic out of self-preservation. So what we have to put the energy into is creating, be proactive, right? Very simple frame. Why think about what you don't want when you can think about what you do want? You know, as you were talking about, I love, I love Ryan Chase. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I read Eat That Frog, but um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have to talk a little offline about that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, but as you were thinking, when well, you're saying that, I was thinking about this a phrase you might have heard, catch, cancel, correct. And for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm talking about tons of just like the wind that flows through the air and the weeds that spots up on the ground, right? It just comes at you. And the, you can't necessarily deflect, but you can catch as many as you can, right? And then when the idea is I'm not worthy or this is not possible or I'm never gonna be accepted, and then you cancel it, meaning like you just pull those weeds off that ground and or you just block it away from your, your periphery because it's taking up space that doesn't belong in your, in your environment. And then you correct it, meaning that you find a new idea or belief that affirms and validates what you're doing rather than deflates you. Yes, yes. I, when, I, when I work with my clients on what you're talking about, I, I, I have a frame. I'm big on analogy and metaphor. Yes. Okay. Because one of the things that we need to understand, Denise, I bet you understand this. When I say we, I don't mean me and you. I mean we, people that do what we do, because we already know this. <laughs> right. And the thing is, curse of knowledge. Yeah. Curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge is when we are so familiar with something, we have forgotten mm-hmm. what it's like not to know. And so people like you and I that help people with behavioral change and help people with growth and help people with the look within and help people with the self-talk and help people with the transformational processes that we do, we use words, are you ready? This is like, we might, we might, I'm not saying you do this and and I'm probably guilty of this sometimes because, you know, my command of vocabulary is quite normal to me, you know, but I've, people tell me all the time, oh my God, say that again. What did you say? Um, But I could watch this. I listen carefully to diction choices that help me understand the undercurrent of limiting beliefs then I must replace with empowering alternatives and then condition to a point of transformation. Uh, what? I won't say that. I'll say, hey, I need to do a checkup from the neck up and get you out of your own way. Mm-hmm. So does that make, right? And so so um, I think that's important, the languaging of it all. So the reason yeah. I say this to you, because I could talk about, governing beliefs and i understand exactly what you mean right away but a person that is in their own way may not hear that and it may not it may not count so i might say hey do you have napkins in your glove box and they'll go what <laughs> what do you mean yeah yeah i'm like do you have them in the middle console do you have them in the side panel do you keep them in your desk drawer do you know do you roll up your sleeve do you have like my grandma used to always keep tissues in the sleeve and you know i would come to this idea of where, you know, there's some people that don't have napkins ever. 
And when a spider's walking across the dashboard, they almost get in a crash and they got to pull over and they freak. Or when, when the cup of coffee goes over a speed bump and it spills and it's trickling down to the, uh, uh, what are they doing? And they're almost going to cause an accident. They're using some shirt in the back seat that they were going to take out. You understand what I'm getting at. If you just have napkins in the glove box, you're ready for that stuff, right? If you mm-hmm. sneeze, if you sneeze, if there's a spider, if there's a mosquito, if you mm-hmm. spill coffee, you don't have to interrupt what you're doing. Right. You can I could keep driving, keep my eye on the road and without even looking, open up my middle console, take out a napkin and then stop the damage. Mm. I can stop the coffee from ruining more of my car. I can stop the spider from spinning web or going to a place I can't see it now. And now I'm wondering when that spider is going to get me. And so now I'm a, a danger on the road. Now, it's easy to imagine this visual, isn't it? Right. We've all driven cars. We've all looked for a napkin when we needed one. And some of us have them ready to go and some of us don't. So what's that an analogy for? It's what you said before. I want empowering beliefs in my glove box on the ready. I don't want to have to look for them. I don't want to have to imagine them. I don't want to have to stop what I'm doing in order to like. So when an unwanted belief comes along. Ooh, am I ready for this? I can immediately go to my glove box and says the only reason you're asking yourself that question is because you're going. You're going to the next level. You wouldn't ask yourself that question unless you were going. So now instead of wondering if I'm good enough, I'm replacing that with I'm on my way somewhere. So mm-hmm. I don't want to have to reach for that. You know, if I have to look around for that empowering belief, when the, when the automatic weed grows on its own in my mind, mm-hmm. then it, the weed may take over and may determine what my behavior is. But if I have a napkin in the glove box where I can intervene in that negative belief with a powerful belief right away. So I have to predetermine what those beliefs are, which is why it's a good idea to play the integrity game. If I have answers to all 10 of those questions, then I've got napkins in my glove box every second of the day. And every second of the day, when something that's out of integrity with who I'm supposed to be in this world comes along, I could replace it with my napkins in the glove box. I I know what I have to say to myself. I know what behavior I can engage in to get rid of the belief, right? And so, yeah, I could change my physiology. I could change my self-talk. I could do all kinds of, you know, like Tony Robbins has great model on triad and the ingredients of state of mind, like manipulate your language, manipulate your physiology, manipulate your beliefs, and you will change your mood and therefore your behavior. So you and I speak professionally with these terms that our audience and our prospects or our clients may not understand. So I'm a big fan of finding digestible ways to get this learning through. So I call it, you know, hey, do you have napkins in your glove box? What are you talking about? And now they've asked me to tell them. And now they're going to listen a little bit more. Now I, I'm feeling terribly convicted because of what I feel like I'm, <laughs> you know, it's so weird when you're talking with your audience solo, you, you, you're like, everything's getting dumbed down. When you're talking, when you're, when someone who understands your level, then you're speaking and you're like, oh my goodness, there's an audience. What's <laughs> Wait, are you saying you got lost in our conversation and forgot for a moment that your audience was listening? Can I just go ahead and say, I love you too. I'm, I'm so having fun right now. Yes, I heard that. And I'm integrity by being honest with you about that. And as you were talking and just about about why we speak and our diction, and when we diction, the words, choices that we use, right? And communicating with others, we have to understand the purpose behind our word choices. Yes. And I was thinking about an example a recent example that happened to me, I had to go to the uh, dermatologist and we were just talking about a, you know, a health issue that I'm, I'm dealing with. And she said, look, this is what the book says. And she spun around her tablet and showed me her like medical examination, giving the pathology, the illness. 
And I was just reading all these terms. I'm like, what is the purpose of you showing me the patient this information? Am I supposed to refer to that as authority? Meaning like, should I be an agreement yeah. like because of the your your treatment plans aligned with this this line of googly google i don't understand 100 percent of the language because i don't have the experience what why are we even going this communication trail and i think for a lot of us we feel insecure we're feeling uneasy we're or we're forgetting our environment right we're forgetting who else is in our like around us yeah and it, we get thrown off track Oh yeah, well, the, what I what, how I refer to it is autobiographical communication. I'm a big fan of biographical communication. You know, the autobiography is a story I'm telling you about me, but the biography is a story I'm writing about you. So back to that doctor's office. If I'm thinking biographical, I have to be aware that you may not be able to understand anything I'm showing you here. So what's the how communicare? How do you make one with? How do I make you, the patient, one with this information? It's not getting out of the way and letting you read it yourself. I have to communicate and translate this and, and de decode this in a way that I can re-encode it in a way that you can decode it, et cetera. So community meaning making is encoding and decoding. And a lot of people are encoding from an autobiographical filter, which is what you talked about, not even consciously, but maybe they're not feeling insecure. They just are. Mm. You know, I feel insecure in this moment. Or maybe it's CYA, cover your butt. Like, hey, let me make sure I show them the chart so I don't avoid a lawsuit. But there, when, the, when the intentions are to serve one's self, mm. we can smell it. We're human beings. When the intentions are to truly problem solve for others, others can smell it. We know when we're really truly being helped and served and when we're not. You know, and, and um, one of the frames to help us get better at all of this is to understand autobiographical. Hey, am I showing you this to write my own story right now? Or am I showing this to help you write your story? Because I'm going to help you write your story. And, you know, you asked me before, what do you want to talk about, Jeff? And I said, whatever is going to give more value to you and your audience. I'm thinking biographically. I'm confident my autobiographical, my autobiography will be written in the course of serving you and your audience. I hope we're doing well. I think we're doing awesome as well, because as I talk with you, you help me realign with what I want to do into providing value. Mm, wonderful. We got so much to talk about. Is there enough time? Is there enough time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have more time. Because I want to honor the, the time that my uh, listeners have. But mm -hmm. yeah, so like how, obviously I'm going to drop a link to get the book on Amazon. Um, Thank you. But how else can people find you, get to know you? Where else can they can get more Kubis? Oh, oh, and yeah. oh. quickly, please tell me a story about you and Shaq. Yeah. Kilo new. For yeah. Those Bri who, no, no, I just had to end. I, I forgot to plug that in earlier. My apologies. Yeah, it's a colorful um, piece of trivia in my life that, um, I think it's going to mean more in the future than it's meant in the past. But Shaquille O'Neal believes that I am his good luck charm. And uh, this, the, I, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one of the next probably three or four books I'm going to write is the Shaq story. And um, 
it, it's basically a story about fanaticism. It, you know, like nonverbal communication. Fan is short for fanatic. So what does a fan do? A fan publicly displays their love and support for something, right? And so, you know, there's a time in my life where I was like the fan of fans. And uh, there's a part during the national anthem where it goes banner yet wave. And it just gets quiet right there. And I just yell out at the top of my lungs. Yeah, 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 yeah. As loud as I possibly can. And the first time Shaq ever heard that, it it just zapped him. And his eyes were bugging out of his head. The national anthem was still going on. I was covering my mouth. And then uh, this was at a preseason game in San Diego, Shaq's first year ever playing with the Lakers. And I'm a big Laker fan, big basketball fan. And I never got to play professional sports. I never got to play high school sports. You know, one of my traumas in life is my parents never put me in Little League and I've had to forgive them for that. I wrote this book called The Integrity Game. Like, I'll show you, mom and dad. Anyway, so what was I good at? I was good at being a fan. That's what, you know, my dad taught me how to watch sports on TV. So going to the games was just an unbelievable thing I couldn't imagine in my life. And now... You know, the season ticket holder, oh, God, and sitting close enough to, like, communicate with or yell at the players or whatever. Oh, my God, that was, like, the biggest thing. Anyway, so I was a pretty pretty loud and, and animated fan. And Shaquille O'Neal, I believe this, my core of core, Shaquille O'Neal, I believe, is one of these people that knows for a fact how gifted he was. Remember we talked about the second point on the model gifts? Well, Shaq didn't decide to be 7 feet, 300 pounds. That was a God-given jam. Does this make sense? Shaq wasn't like, hmm, should I be 5'10 or 7 feet? I'm going to go over here. That was a thing. So now he, Shaq's got this choice in life, you know, because he's big, he's awkward. He gets all these comments that you're not 10 years old. Your parents are trying to cheat. As a kid, these other parents that are crazy nuts about their own kids, they're looking for anybody to criticize that's taking a chance away from their own kid, right? Or the opponent team, like, hey, that guy can't be 10. You know, like, Matt, this is trauma for Shaq. You, you understand, like, there's a lot of big people that, you know, some people may admire and want to be that size, but in our own, we're all insecure. We're all, you follow? So Shaq, I believe, you know, had a choice. Like, I either embrace these gifts and actualize these gifts and see this as a gift and go do good in the world and be the best that I can be. And think, you know, Shaq will tell you to this day, he had great mentors. You know, his, 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 his the, the father, that, that his father figure that married his mom. Sarge, right? You know, he showed him discipline, accountability, sacrifice, don't waste it away. You know, Shaq will tell you that he, he got to a crossroads where I was going to be a juvenile delinquent and try to be a clown and make people laugh and go make bad decisions just to be accepted because I don't know who I am in this weird body that I'm in. Or I'm supposed to be one of the most dominant players in the world to make as much money as I can so I could go do good in the world. And Shaq has stayed relevant, good management. He's one of the most visible and pop- popular athletes on the whole planet. He's endorsing everything under the sun because people want to associate with that smile, with his humor, with his levity, DJ Diesel and you know, insurance and, you know, Krispy Kreme and, you know, he took over Papa John's and saved that and all those employees now have a future and computers for inner city kids. And I can go on and on and on about all the good that Shaq, as a matter of fact, mark my words right now, Shaq for president in either 32 or 36. I said it, you're right, I said it. Hey, if listen, I don't, don't take me down the wrong road, but, you know, if pop culture figures can become president, then Shaq is one of the most qualified people in the world. Right. If it's a popularity jam based on pop culture and you follow social media campaign, Shaq is Shaq or Oprah is just as eligible as anybody to be president of the United States. You know, if given you know the, what, what we saw from the 45th president. Right. You don't need polit- political experience, do you? 
right? So this is America, right? So why not Shaq? And I can tell you right now, I've seen, you know, Shaq is a person who knows what he was gifted with and made a decision based on good mentoring, not to waste that gift, to live a life of integrity and actualize. So you never hear about Shaq getting in trouble. He may say something controversial, but he's not break. He's law enforcement. He's a PhD. He's, he's all these things that you would want your kids to be. And he's also building a mass, 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 mass wealth in, in healthy and sustainable ways. And I can go on and on and on about Shaq. So for some reason, I got tapped to be the guy that yelled out during the national anthem. And Shaq flew me to Miami one time just to be there for game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. That's where I got those shoes and the poster that you see behind me. And um, I'm still quasi in touch. But, you know, like a lot of people are like, hey, did, you, did he give you shoes or did he give you this or did he give you that? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. My job is to like the same way. I feel the same way about Shaq as I feel about my wife, in a sense. Like, I am so lucky to have my wife. So lucky that I wake up every day figuring out what do I need to do today in order to deserve her. So I'm trying to help as many people as I can. Same thing. What do I need to do? Who do I need to be in order to deserve a relationship with Shaq? So I need to actualize myself. I need to play the integrity game. I need to write books and have a track record of success on my own. So that way, when it's time for us to Shaq and I to collaborate on something or do something together in the world, it's not a handout or a hand-me-down or an, a lopsided thing. I need to bring an actualized acumen and track record of success into any future dealings and relations with Shaq, other than just us saying, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you on birthdays, the couple messages that we share over time. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's you know, I, I think I'm going to be able to tell you more about Shaq in 20 years than I can today, but that's the Shaq story. <laughs> well, you know, I, I definitely just wanted to say, though, for those who are listening, that it's a constant revisiting of your attitudes and your actions. Mm -hmm. Constant, moment by moment, forget about day by day. And it's okay if things go a little awry right things can be rewired and I love how like you said that you were lining yourself up so that you could be a service to your wife so that you could be a service to someone like Shaquille and so that you can be a service to the community of those who are listening and those who will be around you that uh, I want to serve the world I need to deserve my wife yeah. and those are gifts you know my the, the fact that my wife thinks enough of me to say yes like that first of all proves i'm a good salesperson but second of all that's <laughs> yeah. i see i see my wife as a gift in my life and i see this crazy trivial experience i had with shack as a gift now what now what am i going to do with those gifts i got to serve others and deserve those gifts so mm -hmm. not to i'm not trying to correct you but i think the distinction is important no 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 i no, i really do uh i it, i do appreciate that because i want maximum value from this conversation because it's not about me it's about right. those who are listening right now. And that's mm -hmm. more important to me right now. And that being said, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, you know, I'm having a hard time figuring this out, reach out for resources, obviously, not just getting the integrity game book, but just reach out outside of yourself and allow yourself to explore what happens next. I think for a lot of us, myself included, we don't take that next step because we're afraid that things won't be perfect. But as you mentioned earlier, failure is a great teacher, it's a great motivator, it's a great inspirer, it's a great motivator. And if we can lean into that energy, the possibilities can, unfathomable. We, we, we don't know what we can do, but anyway, <laughs> well, I know yeah, idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, no, just to sum it real quick, Brian Tracy yeah. taught me, Brian Tracy taught me the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. 
Mm. Now, the other thing that I took that teaching and I expanded on, let me appeal to the intelligence of your listeners. Because if you're, you're talking about introversion, so a lot of analyticals, right? So, so this is a message for the analyticals and the introverts, right? Um, it, it helps everybody, but especially those. Uh, I'm going to appeal to the intellect, right? Is there such thing as perfection or can something always be improved? Just logically, right? The, anybody listening say, no, there's no such thing as perfection. Something can always be improved, right? It could always be better and better, right? We just have to find it. So to set perfection as the standard is actually setting an in possibility is the standard so I mean, there's people that are I, I i'm not ready it's not perfect it's perfect it's got to be perfect it'll never be perfect you're chasing an impossibility so a lot of times done is better than perfect and we i mean we don't get to decide what's perfect the marketplace decides i couldn't decide if the integrity game is perfect i could actually decide up front i know it's not so i can't wait to put it out there get feedback from readers so that integrity game 2.0 is better than 1.0 Right. So don't let fear stop you from from getting it out there and let the marketplace decide. Please understand everyone that's listening. Criticism or suggestions or feedback is not judgment. But we are hardwired to defend ourselves. So sometimes we'll hear a resource as a judgment and then. We, we need to be open and, and vulnerable. Vulnerable is not threatened, et cetera. It comes down to love and vulnerability at the end of the day. I agree with, I love corrections. I love uh, suggestions. I love refinements of information because that's a gift. Yep. In my mind, if you didn't care about the conversation or about our time with one another, you wouldn't waste your time. Yeah, yeah that's, that's another funny thing. You know how the back to accountability and so forth. There's so many people walking around that no oh you just said something that was out of integrity mm. but i don't care enough to call you on it that doesn't mean i didn't observe it and that doesn't mean i don't now see you that way and that doesn't mean now that i trust you less just because we're not being called out for the broccoli in our teeth doesn't mean it's not there mm. yeah it, it just means that somebody has a, their own decision to make whether that's a good use of their time to get the broccoli out of your teeth or not you know what i mean so that's we can I think that's fascinating. So it starts again, looking within, being willing to be vulnerable. Um, it, I, I just hope this has been helpful for you and your audience. I think it feels like we're winding down, Denise. At the same time, it feels like we can talk forever. I know, and that's why I'm struggling because I'm trying to wind it down. <laughs> but I feel like we can just talk again. But I will say one last thing, and we'll and we'll wrap this bad boy up. Is that when we're allowing ourselves to be faithful to ourselves and have that integrity, right? Then we can allow more gifts and treasures, not just from ourselves, but from each other, right? And that's what I am hoping those who are listening can really get at and saying that once we allow that openness for where we can, we can share minus the fear and allow that vulnerability, amazing things can happen. Well. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I have a lot of resources where people can find you on Facebook and obviously um, get a clue incorporated and everything else. But Jeff, do you have any closing thoughts or just something that you really want everybody to listen and to say, if there's nothing else, please understand this. Uh, love is the willingness to be vulnerable. And vulnerable is not the same thing as threatened. And 
and people in our space, Denise, we talk about transformation. We talk about mindset. We talk about self-talk. We talk about strategy. We talk about purpose. We talk about meaning. We talk about authenticity. We talk about honesty. Uh, it all boils down to love. Yeah. Our willingness to be vulnerable so that either we or our beloved may grow. And so the integrity game is trying to make it easy and fun to love yourself, to look within and start loving yourself, which includes being honest with yourself and on and on. But at the end of the day, at the underneath it all, the wizard behind the curtain of the integrity game is love. And, and I don't know how ready people are to, you know, talk about love, love, love when it comes to business and personal and professional growth, but that's the message, you know, anything that integrates can fall apart. But if love is the adhesive, things will stay together and, and get us where we really want to be. So I love you and I love your audience and I love myself and want to put love into the world and we're using integrity game as the Trojan horse to get it rolling. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and thank you for all the treasured gifts that you shared with us. And I'm hoping that those who are listening don't just listen to this, they take the next step, if not for you, but for your community. And with that being said, I want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. Take care and be awesome.